Well, please turn back with me in our Bibles uh, this evening to Leviticus chapter 7. And we're going to read into chapter 7 this evening and look at both of these chapters uh, together. Leviticus chapter 7 is found on page 85. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering, and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. And all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. And every grain offering baked in the oven and all that is prepared on a pan or a griddle shall belong to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall be shared equally among all the sons of Aaron. And this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. It shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice. And on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted. Neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who, op and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast, or any unclean detestable creature, and then eat some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat, the fat of an animal that dies of itself, and the fat of one that is torn by beasts may be put to any other use, but on no account shall you eat of it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of an animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day they were presented to serve as priests uh, of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day that he anointed them. It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Sometimes when there is uh, a new uh, employment opportunity uh, in a business or uh, in an organization, uh, they will post not just that there is a job posting, but they will list uh, the details, uh, the list of requirements uh, about that position. And it gives you a window into understanding the importance of the role. Why is this company or this organization uh, creating this position or why are they needing to fill this position? And when you look at all the details of what that person uh, is expected to complete, we can appreciate uh, their role in the, the whole organization or in the whole business. We have been looking uh, in our evenings together at this book, uh, the book of Leviticus. Uh, it is a strange book. Uh, it is a hard book uh, because it feels so disconnected uh, from our modern life. Uh, it talks about blood. It talks about sacrifices. It talks about priests. And those things are very much disconnected from our day-to-day -day living. And it can be hard for us to understand what relevance does Leviticus have for us. But we have been trying to appreciate how Leviticus, with all of the Old Testament scripture, is really helping us to appreciate the Messiah. It is to help us to appreciate Jesus Christ in his person and in his work.
In the opening five chapters, uh, we looked at various offerings that the people offered up to God in the Old Covenant. And you remember how we've been highlighting that those offerings all were embedded with meaning. They were teaching the people how to approach God. They were teaching the people how they themselves uh, were sinners. They were defiled. They were uh, unclean. And they were coming before a most perfect being. Uh, They were drawing near to the God of the universe. That God had purposed to have communion, to draw near to his people. And that is what that tabernacle was all about. A portable tent where God in a special way would make his presence known. And so the people were to learn certain things about what is important if we are to come before God. One of them was a sacrifice is necessary. That they are indebted before the honor of God to pay him tribute. That they are to come showing great respect for God rather than in a cavalier or in a trivial way. They were to come recognizing their own sinfulness, that they themselves are unworthy of coming before this God, but also recognizing that God is a God who covers their sin, a God who is merciful and pardons them. But as we've been looking at Leviticus, Leviticus is also teaching us what is important and things that we might push back against. And one of those is even in this area of the priesthood. Um, And we will be bridging into this whole topic in the chapters to come. But in chapters 6 and 7, we're really bridging from the idea of the, the kinds of offerings that were made to the importance of the priesthood as well. It might be one thing for a person to say, I must give some tribute to God. Uh, I must uh, uh, acknowledge God by some sacrifices that he has commanded. But why do I need someone to stand in my place? Why can't I simply do it myself? Why can't I uh, simply come before God on my own terms? And what you see in Leviticus is the fact that not only are they themselves needing sacrifice, but they need a representative to stand before God on their behalf. And the priests were those whom the Lord had appointed for that particular role. They were those who served between God and the people, one who offered up the people's sacrifices and one who pronounced the Lord's blessing and favor on God's behalf. And this evening, we're uh, wanting to look at these chapters again, uh, chapters six and seven. And you'll notice that as we're uh, looking at them, as we read through them, how it mentioned the offerings in the previous chapters. It's really doing a second lap around on those various offerings, the the grain offering, the, the fellowship offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering. All of those offerings are being mentioned again. Why is that? Uh, It's not as though Leviticus has forgotten what it just wrote. Leviticus was explaining in those opening chapters what was required of the worshiper. They were to bring these sacrifices to the Lord. Leviticus 6 and 7 are distinct in that they are teaching us the importance of those sacrifices in terms of what happens after the sacrifices are completed. Portions are to be given to the priests. Leviticus 6 and 7 are stressing the importance of the priesthood. 
because people are people. And people in the old covenant period could balk at the idea, why do we need priests? Why should we acknowledge these people? Why should we give them a portion of our wealth? Why should we give them some of our contributions? And Leviticus 6 and 7 is teaching the importance of the priesthood in God's purposes. That God has appointed and anointed certain individuals to serve as the representatives of the Lord's people. And so we're beginning to appreciate the importance uh, of priests in the Old Testament. But if we step back, you can begin to appreciate the importance of a priest just in the word or in the task that they are being uh, commissioned to complete. One of the words that continuously comes up in the book of Leviticus about the priest is, is that their task is to guard the sanctuary. Their task is to guard the holiness of God. Their, their job is really to, to protect the boundaries that separate the clean and the unclean. That's why it tells us that the priest would take off his holy garments whenever he was taking the ashes outside. That he had to respect the boundary lines that God had established. That's why the priest had to wash wherever the blood splattered to respect the fact that blood is sacred. The, the priest was someone who was guarding God's commandments and God's purposes. And so the priesthood is important uh, in what he is doing. He is guarding uh, what God has established. And when you step back, you see how the priest is really fulfilling the role of Adam. What was Adam's task in the beginning? When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, the work that was assigned was the work to, to work the garden and to keep it. The word there for to keep it is the word to guard. Adam was a guardian of paradise. Adam was tasked with protecting that, that environment of communing with the living God. That in the beginning, Adam had this high calling of being able to draw near, to walk with the living God, to be able to have that closeness of presence with God. And now the priests are being given a similar task. They are to guard the sanctuary so that there is a way in which people can still have a way of access with this holy God. God had purposed to draw near. That was his promise. That was what the tabernacle was all about. That's what the sacrifices were for. It was the priest's job to ensure that the Lord's directives were being followed in order that God would not come out in judgment against them for dishonoring his holiness and so that the people would be able to draw near and to enjoy God's blessing. That's why the priests were so important. They were sanctioned by God for a high calling. And Leviticus here is trying to help us appreciate that task. That it's not something that they themselves imposed on the people, but something that God himself commanded. 
And so as we're turning to look at that, uh, we see uh, again and again this stress coming out uh, in chapters 6 and 7. You notice that five times in these chapters it says the Lord spoke to Moses. In other words, stressing that this is all of divine origin. Uh, this is not just uh, Moses' opinion, but rather it's being stressed that God himself is sanctioning this. The priesthood is God's idea. The priesthood is God's purposes being uh, set up. The other thing you notice in these chapters is how it repeatedly says, uh, and for the first time in Leviticus, uh, the language of the law. This is the law of the Lord. This is the instruction of the Lord. Why is that significant? It's significant for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because it challenges our defiant hearts. As we will later see in Leviticus, uh, the people of Israel uh, wanted to do things their own way. Uh, they wanted to approach God on their own terms. And they were being taught not only that they were to pay tribute to God. It's not enough to simply say, I acknowledge that there is a God. But they were to worship the living God according to his commandments. This is the way that you are to worship me. This is how I want you to approach me. And that is on purpose because God is teaching the people that they are in needing of cleansing and that God is not like them. That God is holy, that he is pure, that he is set apart from all contamination. And so there is to be a reverence and an honor as they come before this God. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and fear for our God is a consuming fire. So to think that we can approach God in a fast and loose way uh, renders us guilty of dishonoring his name. That's why it's so important that we see uh, that it says this is the commandment of the Lord, uh, as it says there in verse 9. Uh, command Aaron and his sons, saying this is the law of the burnt offering. The second reason why this is so significant is because it teaches us how the community of God's people is formed. We hear uh, the phrase a lot today where people talk about a gospel-centered community. Uh, we hear people talking about wanting community. Uh, we are living in, a, a, in an age where people are more lonely than ever. People long for community. Where, where is community formed? It's formed by a shared appreciation of something. And the community of God's people are formed when they come under a shared conviction of the authority of God's word. When they come to it treating it not simply as the words of men, but rather as God's very word. That's how a people are formed together and solidified. But it's also the ingredients that allow a people to take God's word seriously so that they treasure the gospel itself. So this evening we want to see that because access and fellowship with God depends on a faithful priest, uh, priesthood, uh, we are to depend on the ministry of uh, our great high priest. We want to think about these two chapters very broadly. Uh, we just want to think about uh, the directives that the Lord is giving here in worship, the instructions that he's giving for worship, and then secondly, the danger uh, that is wrapped up in their worship. First, uh, there is the directives itself. Again, these chapters are dealing with the contents of what was already discussed in the opening five chapters. What is different 
is that it's filling in all the details about what happens after and zeroing in on the priestly portions. You notice that uh, the, the various offerings are described in a different order. And part of that is on purpose because it allows us to give more concentrated uh, attention to the fellowship offering itself. In Leviticus 6, it fills in many of the gaps concerning the burnt offering, the grain offering, the purification offering, and the reparation offering. Uh, but aside from the burnt offering, all of those offerings included a portion for the priests. Whereas in the second half of Leviticus 7, it deals with that fellowship offering where portions were given not just to the priests, but to the people. As it uh, breaks down the various offerings here, as it talks about what happens and what the priests are responsible for, uh, it zeroes in on, on several things. In verses 9 through 13 of chapter 6, it talks about uh, the burnt offering. Uh, this burnt offering uh, is uh, not just the general burnt offerings, but the continual burnt offering. Uh, the continual burnt offering involved two lambs one being offered in the morning and one being offered in the evening. In other words, there was always a fire uh, that was taking place on the altar. Uh, they, the priest's job was to ensure that the fire never went out on the altar. It doesn't tell us why here in Leviticus, but elsewhere it does stress the meaning behind that. In Exodus, it highlights that this offering was offered uh, where the Lord would meet with his people. The reason why the priests were not to allow that offering to die down was because the fire symbolized the meeting with their God. And as they continuously were offering up this offering, they were expressing their constant dependence on the Lord for blessing. It was, it was meant to communicate that relationship of dependence and of God's presence. That was the priest's job. To, to stress to the people that God is a God who is in our midst, a God who we can depend upon and a God whom we must depend upon. Uh, that fire had come from the Lord in the first place and it expressed their constant uh, dependence. We see, as mentioned already, how the priests honored the, the sacred boundary lines even by taking off and changing their clothes when they were in different places. Uh, as one came into the courtyard, one was drawing closer to the holy presence of God. As they came into the, the tabernacle, they were again recognizing uh, the degrees of becoming closer with God. And so they were honoring those sacred boundary lines, uh, even as they moved from place to place uh, to remove the ashes. It would be very much like what we have in our modern world, where a surgeon may go into the Queen Elizabeth. Uh, they may wear their clothes, their regular clothes, but then when they go into the, the, the surgery room, uh, they're dressed uh, accordingly. They have a change of clothes. As they are about to address an open wound, uh, they're making sure that nothing uh, can contaminate the patient. They're, they're taking steps to pr protect the environment that they're in. The same idea is being communicated in a ceremonial way here that people are recognizing that they must be separated from uncleanness in order to come before God. And that was expressed even in their clothing. Uh, 
We are also told about many of the different offerings. Uh, we're told about the grain offering. Again, it stresses that a portion was to be given to the priests. Uh, and that was really uh, meant to communicate uh, their dedication to the Lord. As one person has said, they were saying, Lord, I am giving this bread to you as a symbol of myself because you've given everything I am and have. Uh, and so even at the ordination service of a priest, uh, it was entirely dedicated to the Lord as a result. There was the purification offering, uh, and the priests took great care over how the blood was treated because the blood represented the life of the sacrifice, and it is by the blood that they have access into God's presence. There was the reparation offering. When they had done something wrong, how could they make amends? Uh, the priests are to throw the blood around the altar and to sprinkle the curtain. Uh, they are to burn the fat, but the remainder is for the priest's family. So the priests are receiving all of these provisions, but those provisions are according to the Lord's uh, uh, commands. The priests did not receive an inheritance like the other tribes. Instead, they depended on the offerings of the people for their livelihood. But, God, uh, but the people were not to grumble at that prospect. It would be easy for people to grumble. Why are we being impoverished so that they can eat? Why do we have to share what we have with the priests? But the whole idea was so that the people, the priests, could dedicate themselves to the Lord's service, teaching the people about God's holiness, teaching the people about the, the seriousness of their sin, so that the whole community might be blessed as a result. They were to learn that the ministry of the priests was vital for their standing before God, that they could only come before a holy God through sacrifice. And the Lord had determined that it is the priests who would offer those sacrifices on their behalf. So they were to uh, uh, dedicate themselves to that work. The New Testament doesn't make a one-to-one -one correlation between the priesthood and the, the gospel ministry. But you do notice that the Apostle Paul appeals to the Old Testament, saying that those who labor in the gospel ought to be compensated for their work in order that they can dedicate themselves more completely uh, to the study and the proclamation of God's word. That those who go out proclaiming Christ ought to be supported by the, the community of God's people. And so we see that principle uh, carried over even into the New Testament. But ultimately, these chapters are not just uh, surveying all of the, the offerings, but it is especially drawing attention to the fellowship offering. You notice there in chapter 7, at verse 11, it starts speaking about the, the fellowship or the peace offering. This is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. Uh, Again, this is the only sacrifice where the people also received a portion of the meat. We live where we can go to the superstore, you can go to Sobeys, you can find your, your meat all packaged uh, um, uh, for you and all prepared for you. But in the ancient world, eating meat would have been a much more rare thing. Uh, but here it is highlighting not only the great privilege that they can come and have fellowship with God, but the great danger that was wrapped up in it. The allocation of this meat uh, was to be handled rightly. Uh, if it was not handled rightly, uh, it was something that was deemed offensive in God's sight. 
You notice there in verse 18, if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of this peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who eats or offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted. The word there for tainted means offensive. Uh, it'll be dishonoring to God because one is uh, ignoring God's commands uh, explicitly. And so in these verses, we see all these prohibitions about how to wrongly carry out the, the, the fellowship offering. They were prohibited from eating the meat uh, that was deemed unclean if it came in contact with something ceremonially unclean. They were prohibited from eating the meat when they themselves were ceremonially unclean. They were prohibited from eating the fat portions of the animal because that was dedicated to the Lord. They were prohibited from eating the blood because the blood represents the life. And in each of these situations, uh, there is a warning that if they violate God's law, they will be cut off from the people of Israel. They will no longer be part of that community, but rather separated further uh, from enjoying the blessing of God. So the consequence of uh, disregarding God's holiness is to be separated from his blessing and to bear their iniquities. That's why the priesthood was so important. Because the sacrifices needed to be honored. Because God is just. And his honor will be protected. Those who mock him, those who are trivial with him, will be cut off and will bear their iniquity. And so the priest is a guardian. He's guarding the holiness of God. But he's also a guardian because he is protecting the people. He's protecting their ability to draw near to God. And so he's ensuring that everything is being done according to God's will. He will clean the blood that splatters. He will change his clothes as required. He will honor the difference, the boundary lines that God has commanded. Because he wants to maintain that bridge of access. How can we come before a holy and uh, uh, living God? It is only when we have come according to God's commands. And so the priest was vital for the people to know how it is that they could have a way of access. But what is striking is, is that when you look at what happens, the priesthood itself becomes corrupt. In Leviticus itself, we'll find out that the sons of Aaron uh, will become corrupt and they will be judged. In the time of uh, Samuel, uh, Eli, uh, his sons will be judged as wicked priests, uh, taking the fat portions for themselves. In the time of Malachi, we will see the priests again being chastised for their unfaithfulness. How can we know that we have a way of access before God when his own priests are unfaithful? And ultimately, that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to resolve when he writes the letter of Hebrews. Our way of access is only as sure as our guardian who opens up that way of access. And the reason why we can have a way of access is because ultimately Jesus has come into this world. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes as our king. He comes as our prophet, but he comes as our priest who opens up that way of access, who completes God's will, 
who does exactly what God calls him to do. Behold, it is written in your scrolls, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus fulfills the will of God perfectly as a high priest. But more than that, we can know we have a way of access before God because of Jesus' promise. All who come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying you can know you have a way of access before God because as the high priest who stands at the right hand of God the Father, I can ensure your standing because I have been faithful, because I have fulfilled the work of God, because I have supported my people and I have protected them from the judgment of God. I have protected the holiness of God, guarding his reputation, but I've also guarded my sheep by bearing the punishment as a sacrifice in their place. Jesus is the great high priest because he comes to guard a way of access, that he guards the glory of God and he guards his people from the judgment that they deserve. The people of God are to be formed around a conscious understanding that God is great and deserving of all praise. That it's only as they come, become conscious of this fact that they can come in accordance with God's revealed will. The priesthood is important because this is the way in which God has set things up. This is my law. Why did God set up a priesthood? So that we would understand what Jesus had come to do. One who serves on behalf of sinners and is able to bring them into the presence of God and they can have confidence. How can I know God's favor? It's on the basis of the one who represents me. Do you hear that? My confidence before God does not rest on my track record. It does not rest on my good works. It does not rest on the fact that I am good enough or because God doesn't really care. Leviticus banishes that idea. Leviticus is teaching us as God is more holy than you imagine. But you can have greater confidence in Jesus than you could ever dream. Because he is faithful. He has done the work of his father. And his word is certain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the work of the priest and how the people were to support the priesthood and to appreciate uh, the work that was commissioned to him, we pray, Lord, that we would ultimately see how these things are preparing us for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for our great high priest, the one who always lives to make intercession and the one whose uh, sacrifice once for all at the end of the ages has put away sin so that we might draw near to you with confidence. Lord, we pray that we would know what it is that we are trusting in and that we would appreciate and celebrate the guardianship of the Lord Jesus. Go before us now in his name. Amen.